Welcome to Have Hopeful Travel. When we travel, we get to know people who are different than we are. We hear different perspectives. We better understand others' stories. We learn to stand with people instead of just having opinions on issues. I'm your host, Katie Axelson. I'm here today with a new friend, Emily Lewis. Emily is the host of Abundant Grace podcast. She's a mother of four, and she grew up as part of a cult church. Now she's passionate about helping ease the weight of religiosity that people have placed on their shoulders. Emily, welcome to the show. Hey, Katie. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So I have gotten to hear a little bit of your story as we've chatted and in the podcasting group that we're both part of, but I would love to hear your story from your perspective. Okay, I'll jump in. So um, yeah, as Katie said, my name is Emily. I now call myself an unlikely worthiness coach because Mm. that's not who I used to be. And I know it sounds super cliche to say this, um, but I trust that people will understand it, but God really writes the best stories and I'm really thankful for where he's brought me today. Um, so to give you like the background, my story, I grew up in a church context that was cult-like. So we were very, um, passionate about doing things the right way, believing exactly the right Mm -hmm. way and being the only ones that were right. And I dove in on this with, you know, both feet. I was the goody two shoes. Um, and I, you know, wore the label labels of like legalist very proudly Mm. and just tried to be enough and tried to be good because that was what got me accepted. That's what helped me feel safe. And that was with people and with God. Um, some people have, you know, experience where they're like waiting for the hammer to fall. Like God is like about to strike them down if they screw up. My experience was um, kind of tied to my core love language, actually, um, but my need for belonging. And his, my core fear was that he was just going to leave me if I messed up. Wow. So I tried really hard to keep him happy. And that sounds like a good thing at first, right? Doing what makes God happy. But it's actually never the child's responsibility to manage the parent's emotions. And the same is true for God. And it's not our job to keep God happy with us. Like he's God, much less like if we compare it to a parent, a grown adult, like it's his job to manage his emotions. And obviously he's God. So he does um, better than I do with my kids. Right. But he doesn't need me to control his emotions or try to make him happy. But I spent a lot of energy doing that. And I felt, I felt so exhausted. I remember, um, going to church. I probably had, probably had maybe three kids at the time and I was just whooped, but there, and I should have stayed home. I should have stayed home, but I went to church anyway, you know, exhausted and run down and not really showing it or even admitting it to myself that I was like, I don't know, on the verge of now I think I could label it burnout or a breakdown being so tired and run ragged. Mm -hmm. But um, that's how I, again, found my validation, found my, um, any ounce of self-worth was found in measuring up and trying to do enough. Um, So jump forward to a gift of a faith crisis. (laughs) My, um, 
my ex-pastor was ex- at the time he was my pastor he was exposed as abusive for domestic abuse and it opened up my ability to start asking questions mm. it was very hard and like asking those questions because it felt like you're questioning god it feels like you're questioning God, even though like, as you begin to disentangle things, you realize you're just questioning your theology and what you've been taught, but man, it sure feels like you're questioning God. At sure. the time. So asking those questions can be fe- really heavy and um, fearful and like realizing that they had been there all the time, but I had done a very good job at burying them very deep. Mm. <laughs> and um, so his, his um, domestic abuse opened up the opportunity for me to recognize my own spiritual abuse and name it that and name religious trauma and like begin to heal. And on that, on that path of healing and growth, some really key things happened. One thing that happened was God led us to resources that let me understand God's unconditional love in a way that I had never understood it because I'd always believed in Jesus. If you'd asked me if Jesus loved me, I'd have said yes, because I believed the Bible and the Bible says, but I didn't experience his love Mm. because I was too busy trying to work for it. I was too Mm. busy trying to get him to like me and tolerate me afraid that he was going to leave. So I was spent a lot of that energy um, trying to prove it. But then when it was unconditional, like the pressure was off, a weight lifted off my shoulders and it was so freeing. And we eventually, um, chose to leave the church community that I had grown up in that I was, you know, my parents got married there. We got married there. Um, my husband and I, and, after experiencing the pain and trauma of being shunned by that community that I had spent my whole life trying to fit in with, um, again, God brought us, brought me to people who saw value and worth in me that I didn't even see in myself yet. Mm. Healing my relationship. Like at first it was that relationship with him. Like, Oh, my perception, my view of him was off. And he healed that and then continuing to heal my relationship and my view of others and learning to trust again and let them value me and let them love me. um, Really let me be confidently myself and step into who God is calling me to be without the fear of rejection, without as much fear of being seen and being judged because Mm -hmm. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm on mission. I am myself. So I don't have to try to fit myself in those boxes for people to, you know, that's such a funny thing when we do that to to like, we want people to like a version of us. No, we want people to like us. So Mm. learning to be authentically me is so, so powerful. So there's, there's the overarching story. I think. Um, Awesome. That gives us a good framework to kind of continue to chat from. So thank you for sharing that. How did you recognize that you were in an unhealthy or cultish um, church environment? Mm. Yeah, that was just one thing, one little thing at a time. Mm-hmm. My mom describes it like, have you ever heard how to boil a frog? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how it was. And I grew up in it too, to boot. But mm-hmm. especially for my mom, like 
entering it as an adult. It's just like, that seems inconsistent or that doesn't seem quite right. And it's just one thing at a time for anybody who doesn't know, or I'll jog your memory, like how to boil a frog is you put them in cold or cool water and you gradually turn up the heat. And by the time they realize it's like boiling and not a good situation, they're stuck. Mm -hmm. And that's how it can be in an unhealthy situation. You just dismiss one thing or another and one of the things that's weaponized is your own, like, or I guess torn down is a better way of saying it, is your own discernment, your own ability to be um, in tune with the Holy Spirit and judge what's right because someone else is telling you what to believe instead of being told um, how to think. Or I mean, yeah, instead of being taught how to think, being told what to think. Sure. So then what does the process of getting out look like? Mm. Oh, it's so messy. (laughs) (laughs) I wish it were just easy. Like you just wake up one day and you're like, wow, this is an abusive, toxic situation. I'm leaving. But but it doesn't work in domestic cases. It doesn't work in churches. Um, So the process, it's going to be different for everybody. But you have to get to the place where you know that it's time you know that it's um, not what's for you and that there is something else. And that process looks like asking questions. That process might look like trying to change things from the inside before you leave. Sure. It it might be um, learning about other, you know, other beliefs so that you can begin to like look at yours differently. Mm. Um, but it will take time. It'll take time or it it did for me and it does for a lot of people. Yeah. How much time do you think it took? Um, It took us two years. Wow. From recognizing this is not great to being fully removed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would say like, you know, hindsight is sometimes clearer. Six months before we left is when God was like, you guys are done. You need Mm -hmm. to leave. And yeah. It still, it took six more months of staying and trying to like, trying to make excuses or trying to like uh, make it work. Or I don't know, we weren't really even attached at that point. We wanted out, but it, but when, when you're in a situation where you've been essentially brainwashed into believing this is the only right church and it's the only right place to be, um, leaving can feel like you're setting your family on fire. It feels like you're walking away from God's only blessed place. It's like you're wow. leaving, you're leaving Eden or you're, you're leaving, um, the promised land mm-hmm. when that, it's been presented that way. So it feels so risky to step away. Yeah, I could see that. How uh, has it affected your relationship with God? Like leaving what was told to be the promised land and leaving what you told what you were told you had to do to help be happy help God be happy like how did that affect your relationship with him hmm. it has helped it so much letting go of all of the rules and the expectations and the shoulds that like burden us letting go of those has helped our family thrive mm-hmm. and my connection to God now is so different because I'm not afraid he's going to walk away. 
Ooh, I sure. know, I know that he's with me. He's closer mm-hmm. than my next breath. Yeah. And I hear his voice now, and it's not a threatening voice. Um, someone else, um, I think it was J.S. Park told me, said it this way, that mm, I think I'm getting, I'm attributing the wrong thing, but he said something similar. So it's okay. close. But he said, like, religious trauma is um, like ha- living in a haunted house, but the ghost is God. Mm. You think that negativity, that that condemning, harsh voice is actually God. Sure. And it's not. So reframing who the Holy Spirit is and how mm-hmm. God speaks to me and that he's not leaving me, those yeah. have been huge pieces. Yeah. I sometimes think that church wounds are the worst kind of wounds and trauma. Not to downplay any other kind of trauma, but when you've got a church wound, your community is involved and your relationship with God is involved. And so you no longer have all the safe people you thought were safe or all the people that have been safe historically. And you don't even know like which way is up with God because there are so many questions from what you've been taught and what you've experienced. Would you say that you agree with that thought or you disagree with it? Yeah, I think I would agree with it gently though, because that's, because that's my, that's my trauma. That's my story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But it it is, it's awful how many different areas Mm -hmm. spiritual abuse can impact. It can impact your relationship with your, like you said, friends. It can impact how you um, relate to your kids. It can impact your um, sex life. It can impact your um, career, what you think is available to you. Um, yeah. So yeah, I guess I would have to agree with you. Yeah. I'm sure somebody may someday prove me different, but um, mm-hmm. religious trauma is part of my background as well. And so mm-hmm. like as I've been processing it versus like other traumas in my life, I'm like, oh, this has definitely been the hardest one for me to process through. Mm-hmm. There's so many layers. So many layers. Do you feel like you ever got to the bottom of the layers or do you feel like you'll continue to unpack them? I think I'll still unpack them. <laughs> yeah, for sure. About a year ago, I got, okay, this is funny, but I, I bet there's somebody listening who's going to relate and be like, oh, I'm so glad I'm not the only one. So I, <laughs> I got basically triggered about a year ago and it was by something I saw on Twitter. And now that mm. sounds, that sounds ridiculous, but I think there's probably somebody that can relate. Um, but it was something that I had posted and it was like, it was trending for sure. The, the topic was trending. And then I saw a bunch of other friends post and they were posting the opposite of what I had posted. Mm -hmm. And I inside was like, I'm like this old story of, um, feeling triggered when somebody disagreed with me because I felt, I put so much value in being right. If I am not right, then I am wrong. Like there's something mm-hmm. wrong with me. Mm-hmm. And so that brought up a bunch of ish. And it took sure, me a couple sure. of days to like, oh, this is what's going on. Like I had a migraine. It was like crazy, the physical response I had to this. And that's when I said, okay, I don't want to carry this stuff around. Yeah. <laughs> I want to process this in a, a more, mm-hmm. more in-depth. And that's when I uh, looked up a therapist. Like yeah. I need... I need to process through this. I don't want to be triggered by a disagreement on Twitter. Sure. So let's talk about things that were helpful. 
So therapy is helpful. What other things have you found helpful? Mm. Um, coaching has been really helpful as well. That's been okay. amazing. So I think on the therapy side, we look a little bit deeper. We look at um, the trauma. There's somebody who's trained in helping you heal your brain. And then on the coaching side, even my business coach has been so powerful because one of the things that coaches do for you is they, they let you borrow belief from them. Mm. So I've had a spiritual mentor and a business coach where they believed in my business or they believed in me and they saw God's calling and value on my life more than I did. And that was, I need that some days. Like we need to be able to borrow belief for, from other people. So that's been huge for me. Also books. I've read so many books sure, um, sure. on whether it's healing trauma or just grace centered books to help us help mm -hmm. me break out of like the performance based, trying to earn or prove that I'm enough, like reminded that I am enough. Um, so those, those are two of the resources that I've used as well as music. Yeah. Love a good playlist too. Always a good playlist. Um, I'm an Enneagram one myself, so I'm a perfectionist just by nature add in like any other trauma or experiences where I feel like I've had to earn my earn my way to a position or earn my worth um what advice do you have for those of us who struggle with that <laughs> oh man so I'm an Enneagram three so I'm I'm an achiever and uh -huh. I want people to view me as whatever respect you know, yep. I want them to respect me. Yep. Um, so I think that struggle definitely affects a lot of us. Um, but one of the things that's really valuable as we're finding our worth is resting and being still. Hmm. A lot of times we ignore our need for rest in exchange for just driving or perfection or um, being seen as strong. We want to be seen as strong and capable. And on one hand, there's nothing wrong with that. We want mm -hmm. to be capable. We want to go achieve and we want to do our best. Yeah. But where can we stop? Have mm -hmm. we created space for us to stop? Um, in 2018, I think it was the first time I had like done a word of the year. I was like, I'm gonna give this a shot. Okay, God, what do you, what do you, what do you want for my year? Like, what should I, what should I do? And he told me very clearly, be still like, that's mm. the word. And I had this notion that my year was going to be like this calm. Year. <laughs> and what I, I know <laughs> you laugh. It's pretty apparent now, but it was a busy year. It was there. It was a full year. And I was able to be still in my spirit. I was able to choose rest. One of the most beautiful things that God speaks over us and invites us into is Sabbath. Mm. So I'll give you a couple examples that yeah, are yeah. powerful. In, in Genesis, Adam and Eve's first day of life, like their first full day, was a day of rest. So valid. It was God's seventh day of work, but it was their first day. And I think that's a beautiful picture of rest not being earned. It's a gift. And it speaks to our worthiness. When Jesus is baptized, 
by John the Baptist and he ascends just above the earth. And there's a voice from heaven that said, this is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased in whom I'm well pleased. God speaks this over him before his earthly ministry, before he's accomplished anything, before we really even know who he is. And everybody's probably like, oh, this is what John is talking about. You know, because he said, behold, the Lamb of God. He's like, okay, there is something here. What's going on? Sure. God was affirming who Jesus was, his core identity as the beloved of God before he accomplished anything. And the same is true of us. And that's why... That's why we work from a place of worthiness and acceptance and love. We don't have to work for those things. Mm -hmm. Those things are already our birthright. They're already our identity. So if we start from those places, rather than trying to earn them or prove Mm -hmm. that we're worthy of them, it shifts so much. I think I totally got distracted and derailed on your question. So if you want to circle back, let me know. (laughs) No, it was super helpful. I also want to explain why I laughed because I don't they want you to think I was laughing at you when you called your year be still. I um, called my one of my years um, the year of peace, um, which lasted all of about five minutes on January 1st. And then it was kind of um, a disaster after that. But mm. I had this little rock with the word peace on my nightstand. And so every single day it would sit there and taunt me. But it was also an anchor. Um, and I cannot at all pretend that I was excellent at peace that year. Um, in fact, I mostly got mocked by my little rock. But it also was this reminder of like, that's what I'm supposed to be not striving for, but like resting in and experiencing. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes I just wanted to be like, God, where is the peace? Like, there's no peace here. Where is it? Um, but it was also the chance to like take a deep breath and be like, this is the year of peace. I'm not experiencing it right now but that's still what this year is. And so trusting God, even in the chaos, when I was hoping for peace. Mm-hmm. Right. So I guess tying it back in, yeah, you would ask like, what are, what can we do to get mm-hmm. off of this to yeah. stop achieving? And one of them is rest. And whether that's you literally take things on your to-do list and you delegate them or you stop doing them, you start saying no more, mm-hmm. or you can also schedule in a Sabbath. And if a Sabbath feels really daunting or it's a new concept or a new practice, you can do like four hours. Start Mm -hmm. like we have like all or nothing mentality. And what if we let rest not be all or nothing? And we're like, okay, maybe for four hours, I'm going to shut my phone off or whatever is restful for you. Do that for four hours. And call that your Sabbath. And then you can expand. You can move to a full 12 hours, 24 hours, if that's what serves you. But um, that Sabbath happens on a schedule. And it's so good for us to have to pause and rest when we're not ready. I, When I was in grad school, a whole day off was not at all feasible. Because I worked four days a week at one job, two days a week at a different job, and then I had two days of class. Yes, there were eight days in my week that season. Um, It just meant I was running from one job to another, class to one another. And so I couldn't ever take a full day off. Um, But on Wednesday, I had to be up really early on Thursday morning. So I was very diligent to make sure that my Wednesday night was clear. And so that became my Sabbath. From whenever I got home from work on Wednesday, five, six, seven o'clock, whatever, that was my Sabbath evening. And then one of the other days, I don't remember what day it was, I didn't have any commitments in the morning. And so that was my Sabbath morning. 
And I could not do 24 hours altogether of Sabbath, but I could get a Wednesday evening rest, no schoolwork, nothing. I mean, I could cook on Wednesday night, but that was about all that I would do. And then whatever morning I could sleep in, that was how Sabbath was important to me at that season, was making sure that I had Mm -hmm. a morning to sleep in. And so I would split up my Sabbath that way, and that worked well. Well, even though my season was wildly busy, I was able to make it work with my schedule. And a whole day off would have been delightful, but wasn't feasible. (laughs) Right. Um, I love that. Yeah. Or like the Jews actually Sabbath from sundown to sundown. So Uh it's Friday night at sundown till Saturday night at sundown. And so if you can't get a whole like day because you've got commitments, could you do from sundown one night to sundown the next night or some variation of that to be able to get that time of rest? Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are all great ideas. Yeah. What has it looked like to grow in confidence to be yourself? Hmm. Yeah, it's been a really fun journey and it's it's been a lot more opportunities than I would have dreamed of. Sure, sure. And like, for example, this year, I got the opportunity to preach a couple of times. Very cool. That, that was so outside of the box that I had um, painted for myself. Another thing that has grown is my, out of that is my, not out of preaching, but out of being myself is mm-hmm. my business and my podcast. Yeah. I thought that my life needed to be a homeschool mom, a stay-at-home mom, a homemaker with no outside job or no other nothing. Like that was my mission. And that that's a beautiful mission, but it it can't be our full identity, right? And some of us also need to be doing something else as well. Mm-hmm. And I had that nudge inside of me like crazy. But I thought it was like some sinful part of my heart that like wanted this other thing. And I remember crying and asking God to take it away. Mm. Like, take away this desire. It's so wrong. Well, told my husband about the desire. For some reason, I struggled with this for years and I finally told him about it. And he was like, you should do it. That would be amazing. And I was like, oh, should I? Should I really do this? Okay. Yeah. And I so that opportunity opened up to like being afraid to start a business and what will people think? And is this, you know, now our family, our season, especially in the winter right now, looks so different than what I would have imagined our life looks like. My husband spends quite a bit of time at home and I spend a couple of days a week at the office because his winter season is slow and he gets to spend time with our kids more. And my oldest is in public school. Like so many different things have shifted but because I know my worth isn't found in what I'm doing or how I'm fitting in or how other people think or approve of me. And I'm not trying to work for God's acceptance or approval because that's already given. And I'm in line with my mission that he's given me. So because I'm not striving for those things, I can confidently be myself. I can boldly say like, I am running a business. I'm hoping to impact the way millions of women relate to God and themselves. And all these other opportunities can open up when we're grounded and not trying to prove something. That's where we get our confidence is from basically our God-given identity and our birthright. That's so good. And so important too, because it is a mindset shift from what I've always been told is wrong or what I've always thought is wrong, even if that's what I was telling myself. So this is actually a desire that God has put on my heart and he's expecting me to pursue it for the sake of his glory and for my enjoyment. 
Like those things are not at odds, God's glory and my enjoyment. Mm, that's such a good word. Yeah. <laughs> we think like somehow it's super holy to be like somber and right. miserable or something, or like we glorify the struggle. Right. I don't know that I have ever seen a parent mad that their child is having fun in a safe, healthy way. Like that's just not reality. And if we're going to mm -hmm. use the parent analogy with God, which, which falls short in some ways, but is also helpful in some ways, like if you're enjoying yourself in a safe and healthy way, like how delighted is he in you mm -hmm. enjoying that? Yeah, that's beautiful. Well, thanks. While we're <laughs> here, let's hear a little bit more about what your business is and your podcast. Oh, thank you, Katie. Um, my podcast is called Abundant Grace. Um, pointing to that first key that really helped me find freedom. And there we explore topics around um, who God is, who you are, and the goal of helping you confidently and boldly be who he's calling you to be. Um, and then I do some one-on-one -on -one coaching as well as group programs to help women own their worthiness and stop feeling less than and stop feeling um, afraid to be seen and judged so we can, so that they can confidently be themselves. Mm. Um, that, yeah, that work is such a gift. Yeah. It sounds really fun and really struggle, really struggles on a word, really hard, but also really rewarding. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sometimes it can be like, my job is to hold space a lot of times. And that can be like, that takes a lot of work on my end, but um, it's really uh, a blessing and an enjoyment. Yeah. Where can we find you online? You can find me on Instagram, emily.abundantgrace. And you can go to my website. I'm going to have a page just for your listeners at emilyklewis.com forward slash have hope. And my name is emily, the letter K, and then l-o-u-i-s.com forward slash have hope. And I'm going to have a link to some videos that I have on keys to feeling more confident and um, links to my podcasts and socials so you can catch me there. And I would love to get to know you and hear from you. So if you want to send me a DM or send me an um, email, I would just love to visit with you. That'd be awesome. We will definitely link to all that in the show notes as well. Thank you. Yeah. So a couple of fun questions for you. What do you wish everyone knew? Mm. I wish they knew that they were already worthy and that they were already enough and lovable. Lovable. Ooh, that's a good one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Would you be willing to pray for us? Absolutely. Cool. God, thank you so much for this space. Thank you for podcasting. Thank you for Katie's vision for Have Hope. God, I pray for the listeners here as they are um, tuning in to hear other people's stories. God, that's such a valuable and necessary mission and task for us today. Help them to be encouraged if they relate to my story. Help them to know that God can, that you can bring them through um, to write a beautiful story and that you can heal and you transform and you can help them let go of bondage or um, expectations or boxes that they've tried to cram themselves in. And again, I ask that if they know someone who is walking through something similar or has spiritual abuse or 
um, religious trauma that maybe you, they would send this episode to their friend or they would just learn to listen. And I ask that you would bless them with healing and transformation and draw them closer to your heart in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. I love getting to hear people pray because I feel like it shows their heart. Mm. And I feel like it showed your heart to, uh, to help us draw closer to God, even though we've been through things that have tried to pull us away from God. Mm. And so it's a chance to step towards him again. And that's one of my favorite things is getting to link arms with other women and take a step towards Jesus together. So thank you so much for linking arms with me tonight. Mm, Absolutely. Thanks, Katie. I really appreciate the conversation. For sure. I have one final question for you, and this is a fun one. So because Have Hope Will Travel is built around the idea of hearing different people's stories, we are constantly learning from someone who's got a new perspective or something that we've never heard before. So I would love to learn what is something you have learned recently? Oh, wow. That's fun. I learned a random fact at the grocery store today <laughs> Um, that now I haven't tested this out, but okay. this is about avocados that the the shorter, rounder avocados have a bigger seed and the longer avocados have a small seed. Oh, I have never heard that before, but I love avocados and I'm thinking through my avocado experiences and I think that I agree with that theory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know if it's like the male <laughs> flower or the female flower and sure. it's like but interesting very interesting mm-hmm. um I love avocados there are two of them in my fridge right now that I'm a little afraid are going bad um but I'm going to well not eat them anyway but eat what I can out of them anyway mm-hmm. yes <laughs> um <laughs> I know something fun about avocados if you pull the little like piece off the stem part off you can see the green on the inside or the dark on the inside and you know how ripe it is Ooh. Yeah, That's so if you like trick. flick it off and it's like a light green, it's not quite ready yet. But if it's like brown, it's like over ready, over ready. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, I also know that avocados are really hard to harvest. And sometimes I think to myself, that's why they're so expensive. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I got them for 69 cents each <gasps> today. I'm coming to your grocery store. Right. <laughs> I feel like uh, anything under a dollar is a good deal for an avocado. Right. I'm going to go make, I'm going to go make some avocados with some salsa and call it guacamole. Ooh, that sounds delicious. Awesome. Well, Emily, thank you so much for getting to share your story with us, for trusting us with it, um, for helping us draw closer to Jesus, for educating us about avocados and religious trauma, you know, two things (laughs) that always go together. (laughs) Perfect. I love it. Um, Really appreciate your time and your story. Thanks, Katie. Have a great night. You too. As always, a big thanks for listening. Be sure to connect with Emily at emilyklewis.com slash havehope. I would love to connect with you as well. You can find me at katieaxelson.com. Did you know that we have a free resource to help you have better conversations with the people in your everyday world? You can find it under the resources tab at katieaxelson.com. We'll see you again in two weeks, my friends. And until then, know that you are loved, know that you are seen, know that you matter, know that your story brings value. Bye-bye.